Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Bells on Film, Edge of the Crowd's dedicated sports movies podcast. I'm your host, Jason, and joining me today is Stuart and Dan. How are the two of you going? Stuart, we'll start with you. Fantastic, mate. Uh, this is a great movie. Had great fun watching it. Can't wait to talk about it with you guys. I have to say, I am stoked because it is draft day, baby. This is the time of year to rewatch this movie. It always hits right the spot just before the actual draft starts, so can't wait to get into this. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's just do that. Let's get into the episode itself. And as Dan's alluded to, it is the weekend of the NFL draft, and by the time that this podcast gets published, the NFL draft will be starting. And so we've decided to take a look at and discuss 2014 American football drama film Draft Day. We'll first go into a little synopsis about what Draft Day is about. The majority of the film takes place within the time and 13 hours specifically leading up to the 2014 NFL Draft. The film focuses on Sonny Weaver Jr., the general manager of the Cleveland Browns, a team who holds the number seven pick with Weaver Jr. having had conversations with potential players that the Browns are looking to select. However, Weaver Jr. makes a deal with the Seattle Seahawks and their general manager, Tom Michaels, for the number one pick, with the Browns giving up a first-round pick for the next three years in the trade. Throughout the film, Weaver Jr. and his team try to navigate players' characters and form and playing ability to see if they're a good match for the Browns, and ultimately, on draft night, Weaver Jr. picks Fonte Mack with the number one pick, forcing a disruption to the other teams and players' picks across the night. Uh, so that was a bit about what the draft day is about. Stewie, Dan, what did you think of the film overall? What did you like about it? What didn't you like? Dan, we'll start with you, you for this question. Um, I don't know. I, 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 always, I was a, a huge NFL uh, junkie um, I always have been and um, really up until I started working over the draft at you know a real job I used to watch the draft every year take the day off uni and, and make sure I watched it because I love the drama and um, there was something about it that made it uh, all kind of seem quite real having watched some of the draft day drama that we've seen um, unfold over the years in real life this movie was not that far beyond the realms of possibility. Um, it was kind of almost real. Um, and that I think made it all that, that different. And for a long time, you know, my dream job was to be sitting doing what Sonny Weaver Jr. is calling the shots on the draft day. So, I mean, I, I love this movie for, for all those reasons, I think. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Dan's got a spot on there. Um, it, can't, it really captures the essence of, of, draft day like when you watch it at home on tv and stuff um so i don't really think i can add anything i think you you put it beautifully there um but i will say i, I love the way this movie is shot um i think it's got some cool um cinematography going on some cool transitions with the phone calls where um you've got the split screen going on and I was saying just off mic before uh, about the, uh, I love the overhead shots of all the stadiums too. They, they were really cool. So yeah, yeah. I think uh, definitely agree with Dan with the capturing the essence of the draft day, but I think the cinematography is really good also. Yeah. Uh, I'm just probably going to like continue to pedal that line of the uh, essence of draft day. But what I really liked about this film was that like, you know, you got more of an insight into the players themselves. And so Throughout the day, you had 
uh, you know, each of the potential players that were being selected within the first few picks or um, having had those conversations with teams as well uh, throughout the day, you know, you really got a sense of what those players were like and what they were feeling uh, throughout the day, even up until the night. And I think it really captured like the fanfare of the NFL draft for both fans and players. You know, you got the emotions from the fans about, you know, having the number one pick and having, you know, the selection of, you know, potentially Bo Callahan, who was rumoured to be the number one pick. And then you had the players as well. And just like the sort of like surprise in terms of when they were getting picked or when they didn't get picked, um, you know, as we saw Vontae Mack get picked, he was just in shock. And like, I fully believe that like that would be the genuine reaction as well as Bo Callahan's reaction at not getting picked number one, um, having a little bit of a outburst, like, why didn't they pick me? I was meant to be picked. And I think that it really captured that so well um, because of like, yeah, that previous sort of build up and focus on the characters. I think the other thing that that build up did is it um, kind of humanized all the people involved in this process. Cause I know that as fans, we talk about, you know, who's getting cut and who's getting traded and who's going to be picked where and whether it's a reach or a steal or who knows what, but there are always people behind the story. And I think a lot of the time that gets lost in draft analysis and this movie does kind of bring back a little bit of those human sides, but I think if I was a middle linebacker and I got picked number one, I'd be in shock too um, because <laughs> that just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. And I will also say that, like, I feel like this movie, when I first saw it, um, you know, it started my supporting of the Cleveland Browns as well, um, just because I did watch, <laughs> I did watch this movie and, I think it was like, yeah, one of the first sort of American football movies that I watched. So I didn't have too much uh, knowledge over it. Um, and, you know, maybe looking back, maybe I wouldn't have selected the Cleveland Browns. But <laughs> <laughs> um, in saying that, I think that, yeah, this movie like had that sort of effect on me um, from seeing the Cleveland Browns. Um, and, yeah, it just sort of took off from there and then obviously went to Cleveland in 2018 as well and saw their stadium and I was like I have to go for them now haven't seen a game but you know have to go for them <laughs> um, it's funny because I think that as much as you know the Browns are the centerpiece of that movie um, they're not really talking about the Browns in a lot of ways I think in many ways it, it, it's actually the New York Jets that are the Cleveland Browns in there because at about that time they had a semi-established quarterback who was coming off an injury and ownership problems and a, a downtrodden history and um, in many ways it, you know the, the Browns are the easy fun punching back of the NFL for a lot of the, the time and maybe they didn't go the Jets because that's too easy a target um, but... <laughs> so that, just on on that point um, I wonder like I don't know if we'll get a chance to talk about this after um, the NFL's famously stingy with the you know giving their name and, and using their franchises in entertainment and stuff. And this movie has all, you know, it's real stadiums, real teams, real names and everything. And uh, I'm just wondering if uh, maybe, maybe the New York Jets asking price was too high to, uh, to 
go in the movie. Well, maybe, maybe. they could, couldn't afford any more PR damage. Uh, or maybe the NFL were like, the condition of you using all of our stuff is that you don't pick on the Jets because everyone else does. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been uh, perusing IMDb trivia. That kind of speaks to your NFL knowledge. Um, the team Sunny trades for the top pick was originally supposed to be the New York Jets. Yes. <laughs> but they actually dropped out of the movie at the last minute. Um, the movie was originally going to be centered around the Buffalo Bills instead of the Cleveland Browns. Also. To be fair, at the time, they were also terrible. So that <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> um, but the studio changed it because, uh, because to the Browns because production costs were much lower and higher than they were in New York. So as you can imagine. It's also probably ever so slightly warmer in Ohio than in Buffalo to be filming in <laughs> December, January. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was really nice to see, like, the real teams, the real logos, the facilities, the grounds, um, the actual NFL draft location as well, um, being, you know, as opposed to, yeah, those venues and, um, you know, having to sort of have a makeshift office and all this sort of stuff. Um, because I think it gave, like, a lot of, like, authenticity about, like, the organisation um, and just sort of how it runs and how everyone interacts and then, you know, the fan bases as well. Like you could get like real fans in and um, capture like, you know, yeah, the fan bases. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it was done right in that way. But especially like on the day of the draft, like around when, you know, this movie was shooting as well, you had actual fans, actual team personnel there, you know, around the time of the shoot. So I think that, yeah, it just had that bit more of uh, authenticity. Well, that, that authenticity really came down to having, you know, even the ESPN guys at the desk in their own names, like Chris Berman is referred to as Chris Berman and Mel Kuyper Jr. as Mel Kuyper Jr. You know, they're not actors. They're not people who pertain to be these ESPN guys. And the pick is finally in. It's currently being brandished by some walkie-talkie individual taking it up to the commissioner's podium. A big, humongous pick for the Cleveland Browns. Now, to find out whose name is on that card, here is the commissioner. Even you got the commissioner reading out the draft picks. Like, With the first pick of the 2014 NFL Draft, the Cleveland Browns select Vontae Mack, linebacker, Ohio State. There is a, a sense that if you forgot about the drama and the cinematography, you might think you, if you turned it on midway, you were actually watching the NFL draft. It definitely adds to the legitimacy of the film. You know, it, it, like I think you nailed it just when you said uh, authentic. It definitely gave it that authentic feel with the ESPN anchors, the commissioner, you know, you had all real people around. I actually wasn't aware that it was, that it was real fans in the, in, you know, in the upper echelon on when the draft thing was hunting so that's really cool i think yeah. actually they just cut the cctv from whenever he gets up and they boo him because that's pretty much canned footage really <laughs> every year <laughs> but it wasn't just like the commissioner roger goodall like um you know announcing the picks either like you saw him at other parts of the film where you might not have seen him you know on an actual nfl draft broadcast when he was interacting with um you know 
the owners of the teams and past players and all this sort of stuff in the backstage room as well. And so, you know, that would surely happen on an NFL draft day as well. And so I think you got like a bit more of an insight into like the behind the scenes stuff about what happens on draft day. Incredible flex from Alfred Molina, the guy who plays the Browns owner. He walks into the commissioner's suite and just goes up to him and says, uh, what are you doing in my suite? Uh, so we'll talk now about a few of the references to history that were sort of scattered throughout the movie. Um, the movie is set in approximately that 2013-14 range. Uh, Dan, you've had a look at uh, something that is referenced in the movie um, about missing picks. Do you want to explain about that and how they, the movie may have got that right or um, just a throwback to what happened? Well, it's, it's one of the few kind of historical references that the movie does make um, and talks about when teams are on the clock that, you know, if you miss your pick, another team can jump up. And there are two instances in my recollection and um, Stewie's got one of them pretty, pretty accurately. So I'll let him talk about it. But in 2003, the Minnesota Vikings let the clock run out. They were trying to make a trade um, in the late first round and didn't get the trade in in time. And uh, they were forced to pass on their pick, essentially, giving Baltimore um, a chance to jump up ahead of them, which was uproar at the time because there was questions about where they got it in on time. But it's something that we don't see very often that teams miss their uh, 10 minutes in the first round or five minutes in the later round. So um, it was a fun little reference. And, you know, it is something that's got a bit behind it, right, Stewie? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So it also happened in 2011. And uh, incredibly, it was the Baltimore Ravens this time around. Um, they were making the 26th pick in the first round. Um, they had 10 minutes to decide who they wanted, like uh, like Dan just said. And, um, you know, they just, uh, they, they they fluffed around and uh, they, they couldn't decide which player to choose. Um, then there was a bit of draft action going on as well. Um, and uh, the Kansas City Chiefs jumped in and uh, stole their pick thereby becoming the 26th pick uh, ahead of the Ravens. So basically the same story as uh, as the Vikings in 03. Um, maybe a bit of karma there that it happened to the Ravens this time around, you know? Yeah, and it, I mean, it's interesting. It's one of the movies that does make a lot of... I found a lot of um, kind of allusions to things that were going on about the time in the NFL. Um, you know, this is set in about the time that the Seahawks don't really have a quarterback and have struggled with some uninspiring play and the Browns and the Jets both stunk. And, um, you know, these kind of things do happen. And so the references are kind of quite real and you have this sense that even though they're not making historical references, they're making kind of plenty of allusions to the realities of the sport anyway. Yeah, just kind of a wink at what's really going on, you know, in the real world at the time. Yeah, well, I did have a look at some of the uh, sort of historical aspects or inaccuracies of the movie as well. And we sort of touched on one before with the commissioner um, in terms of whether he gets cheered or booed uh, when he walks up to the podium. Um, but a couple of the others as well are that in draft day, the Seattle Seahawks start with the number one pick. Um, whereas in the NFL at the time of the um, 2014 draft, the Seattle Seahawks, you know, didn't have anything close to number one. Um, they had the number 32 overall pick after winning the Super Bowl the previous year. 
And similarly, the Cleveland Browns didn't have pick seven in this particular draft as well. They had number four overall. Uh, that was that horrendous cornerback they picked, that bust. That was the, the Johnny Manziel draft, and they took a cornerback number four, and he was hopeless. Going off the Cleveland Browns again, um, they in draft day, they had a veteran quarterback by the name of Brian Drew coming off a major injury. In the NFL at the time, they did have a veteran quarterback named Brian Hoyer coming off a major injury as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the part of the, the film that I think really connects with a lot of American football fans who otherwise probably aren't turning on a uh, Kevin Costner movie. Um, but it, it wasn't kind of set in the clouds. It, it really did feel like it might have just been plucked out, you know, behind the scenes view of what happened that, around then. And I think as well, like, you know, if we don't want to look at sort of the historical aspects of it and instead sort of turn our eye to sort of how things were run uh, throughout the day of the draft in terms of the talks going on between sort of teams and general managers, um, you know, it probably, probably happened like really, really quickly in terms of those uh, conversations between different general managers, but then also like the information um, that was being fed through to the clubs. And so, um, you know, we obviously see Bo Callahan and Vontae Mack um, be sort of scouted a lot um, or being talked about a lot throughout that draft, uh, throughout that draft day. Um, and I think that like having all this information about these players that you know, is sort of new that's coming in because, like, we see Vonte talk about Bo um, and, you know, how he sort of conducts himself after getting sacked um, throughout his games and that sort of thing, like... That ball you want to take? That there's a mistake. Callahan. Callahan's a poser. Yeah, and what do you know that every scout and coach on earth does not? I know he got sacked 12 times last year. No, it was 11. It was 11 times. Yeah, well, four were mine in one game. Yeah, I remember. I, I, I saw your highlight reel. I also remember that he beat you. Watch it again. Don't watch me. Watch him. Watch me sack him four times in one game. Then watch what happens after. I feel like, uh, you know, a team of people who are sort of working towards putting a list together or potential draft picks um, or selections together, like they would have had a look at something like that as well. So like that scouting and that pre-draft work, um, I think that it would take months, like not hours at all. Um, so to me, like it's a bit hard to believe that they didn't know, you know, this sort of information on either player um, or sort of do any sort of like character referencing of both, I guess, Callahan and Mac. Yeah, why didn't his teammates go to his birthday party, you know? <laughs> My God. I, I mean, I, I also think there's a, a little bit of that has to kind of be that way because there's a lot less drama if two weeks after the Super Bowl, the Seahawks trade for the Browns trade for the number one pick, we're like, okay, cool, whatever. You have to have that drama of, you know, 13 hours before. But I think the next time that the number one pick is traded with 13 hours before the draft will be the first. Um, <laughs> it doesn't happen uh, quite like that. Although that uh, trading that happens in the draft where, you know, 
they're trying to reshuffle picks and people are worried about who's sliding down the draft boards and things like that. I think that probably is fairly realistic. I mean, we see every so often that a team jumps up or down the draft board and everyone kind of goes, well, the mock draft didn't have that. What's going on there? Um, so I think there are those kind of surprises later in the draft, but pick one's probably not where we see that. Usually pretty nailed on pick one. Not this year though. Yeah, right. hundred percent. Let's not step on a later segment where we may <laughs> or may not be doing some predictions, but uh, yeah, not this year. Yeah. Spot on there, Dan. We'll definitely get to that a little bit later. Um, but I think like, yeah, again, like that sort of like lack of clear communication between organizational decision makers like the GM, like the coach, like the owner. Um, I think that they're probably, you know, in real life, there would be a lot more communication between those people. Um, and, you know, you had individual conversations with um, Melina and Sonny um, when Melina tells him, you know, you need to make a splash rather than rely on the information of the co-workers, um, which leads into Sonny's decision-making and, you know, him sort of taking it into his own hands. Um, and we obviously saw a lot of spats between uh, Sonny and the Cleveland Browns coach as well. I like her. I don't miss salary cap. She's a sweetheart. Yeah, she's the best. Why am I here, Sonny? Because Melina thinks you coached the Cowboys. I did coach the Cowboys. And I think you were a bad babysitter. You know, my wife loved living in Dallas, Sonny. It's a rich town full of fancy people, and she likes that kind of thing. So she wasn't exactly thrilled when I said, hey, baby, pack your bags. We're moving to Cleveland. Well, there's fancy people here, too. No, there's really not, which is okay by me but I dragged my pretty wife to this town because this city deserves a championship and I'm the guy that can deliver it. Well, then we're on the same page, Vance. Oh, yeah? Then keep me in the loop. There is no loop, all right? There's me doing my job, you doing yours. Your job is to coach the team I give you. They do it different in Dallas? Yeah, they do. They win a lot. And I think that, yeah, if they've just sort of had that conversations, had those conversations with each other, between each other, you know, sort of from the start, a lot of that conflict, um, and especially between Sonny and the coach, you know, it just would have been a bit sort of unnecessary um, to have that instead. I reckon that in some dysfunctional front offices, though, you do see decisions made without consultation. It generally results in everyone getting sacked 12 months later at the end of the season. But I did find that bit kind of believable. Like, in the really dysfunctional rooms. I reckon there are people making decisions without talking to others. Um, so, yeah. I just want to go, go back to the, uh, the conversation between um, Sonny and uh, the Cleveland Browns owner in the water park and the, uh, the all-time classic line, uh, people pay to get wet, Sonny. That was, uh, <laughs> that was the hard sell. Uh, people pay to get wet, Sonny. It's an all-timer. It's a classic line oh yeah 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 that immediately is in my vocabulary so uh so obviously the film focuses or centers on the sport of american football as well and we probably didn't have too many examples of an american football match being played out during the movie um you know it was mostly just like archive footage or uh you know video footage of uh you know past games or those potential uh picks of for the draft I think the only time that we might have had an example of it is when uh, Sonny calls up 
the coach at the University of Wisconsin to ask about Bo. I think that was a conversation about why no one came to his 21st birthday party. And, um, <laughs> you know, you had some training in the background. Um, but I think other than that, there wasn't actually anything to sort of, you know, see the sport properly be played out on the big screen. Yeah, but I think in fairness to what this segment does on Girls on Film, we should probably talk about how it goes as opposed to the draft process as a whole and that kind of experience. And, I mean, I think for me, I enjoyed the fact that, you know, they were playing with a salary cap and they they make reference to that a bunch of times because that is a huge part of how NFL teams build their rosters. I mean, they don't pretend there isn't one. And so to have a movie where you're, talking about the cap is is kind of cool um to see them try and take it kind of seriously and authentically in that way but no one's ever picking a middle linebacker first overall right stewie absolutely not (laughs) and i think you uh i think you nailed it there um you know there there isn't any actual you know playing football going on but uh if i may digress just a little bit i am a huge football manager fan i don't know if you guys are aware of this game but uh, you know all the all the numbers, all the background stuff. That's that, that's my bag, baby, and I loved it. And uh, also, um, you know, I said to you guys off my before that I watched it with my girlfriend, and she actually said at the end of the movie, she goes, "That was the best sports movie ever. There was no sports in it at all." So <laughs> you've got to put her onto Moneyball next. That's yeah. also going to be right up her alley. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, I, I really loved a lot the uh, the backroom aspect, I guess you'd call it. Um, that was fantastic to see it play out. And, you know, like Dan said, um, you know, not pretending like there isn't a salary cap and they can just splash the cash and do what they want and do stupid moves. Like it, it seemed like it was adequately reined in and uh, it could be accurate to laugh. So, yeah. well, I mean, and, and it's a while ago for us, but um, there was, of course, the... Uh, the infamous draft heist, I think it was about 2002, where the Saints traded every single pick in their draft hall for the rights to draft a particular player number one. Um, And so, like, yeah, it doesn't happen much these days. We do occasionally see teams give up the farm for a a top pick, but it's not completely imaginary that someone would give up three ones and then three twos to move around the first round. 100%, yep. I mean, I think we have to talk about the birthday party, right? <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't they go? Like, Did I mean, they go? Didn't they go? It's the big unresolved question in the movie. It I mean, is. To me, a lot of the the stories and the anecdotes, I mean, there's the anecdote about the, the $100 bill in the playbook. Mm-hmm. Just talk to Jack Tate in Washington. He said when they found out they had the number five pick, first thing they did was send a copy of their playbook to all the guys they were interested in. Right, we do the same thing. No, no, they put a little special twist on it. They tape a $100 bill to the last page. Why? So when they're interviewing the guys and they ask them if they read the whole playbook, of course all of them are going to say yes. About half of them, they mention the money, but the other half don't. So when they tell them about the $100 bill, most of the guys get embarrassed. They get flustered. They fess up that they didn't read the whole thing. That, actually, I find believable. I reckon that NFL teams probably do play some sort of test on these kids that they're about to give tens of millions of dollars to. Um, the trick of the $100 bill was actually used by the Washington Redskins um, 
Yeah, so that's a real thing. It uh, They used it throughout the 1980s and uh, they caught a, quite a few players out um, with the $100 bill trick. But not being able to find out why everyone didn't go to a guy's birthday party? I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's uh, it's bothered me ever since I finished watching the movie. I want to know. I want to go to the writer's room. I want to say, listen, this needs to be resolved. I need to know why. Anyway, that's... Uh, yeah. All right. Well, we might go into looking at the actors and the characters that they played now as well. And I'll just give you a bit of a run through about the top actors in this movie. So we had Kevin Costner as Sonny Weaver Jr., the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. We had Jennifer Garner as Ellie Parker, the team's finance manager and Sonny's love interest. We had Dennis Leary as Vince Penn, the head coach of the Cleveland Browns, who is replacing Sonny's father in the role. We had Frank Langella as Anthony Molina, the owner of the Cleveland Browns. We had um, Chadwick Boseman as Vontae Mack, top prospect in the upcoming draft class. Uh, and then we had Josh Pence as Bo Callahan, a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback and team captain from the University of Wisconsin, who was also touted as being a top pick. And then, of course, we can't forget him. We had Roger Goodell as himself, the NFL commissioner. I mean, I think Goodell's acting here tells me that as much as he's been a good commissioner in the NFL, he really missed his calling as a Hollywood actor. <laughs> <laughs> he's always got that as a fullback. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you need a fallback when you make commissioner money. But um, <laughs> I, I think on the whole, I mean, Kevin Costner is, is obviously the star of the movie, but I think he puts in a really good performance. You can see kind of the emotional development of his character um, and the highs and lows of the day. And, um, you know, that it does kind of make it, um, I think that's one of the, the good performances um, that we so see in the movie. So I've got I've got thoughts on this cast. I got to tell you, let's hear them, Stewie. Okay. I was um, I, I got to tell you, I was blown away by the quality of this cast. Dennis Leary, um, even um, Brian Drew is that the guy from Smallville? I think so. Brian Drew. I think so, so. These are just you know you've got um, oh, the little um, the guy that that follows Anthony Anthony Molina's character around a draft day. I don't know the actor's name, but he's a big name. Then you got Jennifer Garner, you got Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner probably his best role since Field of Dreams. I have to say, I'm making the big calls over here. <laughs> um, Jennifer Garner was great. I thought she was a bit of a fish out of water when I seen her on the cast list, and then I was like, oh wow, she she really fits this role. Dennis Leary is going, you know, he's just a full asshole in this movie and uh, he's great at it you know what I mean um, I love the owner I loved all the little um, you know all, all, all the real life people playing themselves on there and stuff too um, just fantastic whoever the casting director was for this um, you know they deserve they deserve a raise in my opinion a little and bit I think it. it's partly you know that's what happens when the NFL gets behind the movie you know is willing to give it its ip and its branding and it's everything uh -huh. people like this is a, a serious movie this isn't some adam sandler longest yard kind yeah. of crap this is a this is going to be a proper movie um, uh -huh. i'm happy to put my name to it and it showed up i mean they, they were great yeah um even uh, i forgot one name i did want to bring up terry cruz as uh ray jennings father as well was uh was fantastic but um ray jennings was actually played by a former college football star who didn't get drafted ironically 
Uh, Aaron Foster. Yeah, he yeah. Did, so bowl, get dra- I know he didn't get drafted, but he played in the NFL. I did play in the NFL. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I know he, he was a running back, but he was undrafted. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I just, uh, I stumbled across that when I was doing a bit of research uh, earlier this afternoon. I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of fascinating. So, yeah. But 10 out of 10 for the cast. Fantastic. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, like, um, you know, sort of picking up where you said, you know, Jennifer Garner, you know, I, when I first saw her, I was like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't really, like, expect her to see her in the movie. But, like, she played, you know, her role great. Um, but, yeah, I think, like, Kevin Costner as Sonny, I think that you sort of saw, and, like, yeah, I'll go back to, like, you know, the emotions of, like, the day as well in terms of, um, you know, seeing his home life at the start and then seeing him as the general manager of the Browns as well and just like everything that he needed to do, uh, you know, during the day. But then I think there were those sort of like wholesome moments that, you know, while he was fully focused on the draft as well, I think that you had those wholesome moments where he was with Ali, um, you know, Jennifer Garner's character and they had some sort of like meaningful conversations. Um, You had, you know, the conversations between him and his mother, um, especially around scattering his father's ashes on the practice field that was named in his honour. And so, like, you got, like, a real sense of, you know, the different types of person or, like, the different types of a character that, um, you know, Kevin Costner could play. Um, so it wasn't just sort of, like, the hard-nosed general manager who was, like, you know, it's my way or the highway. You know, you had these other moments, like, filtered in um, to sort of, you know, see him be like this compassionate sort of person as well and like really sort of like care for the others in his life and his family. And obviously um, he was like a really big supporter of Vontae Mack and we sort of saw that um, come to fruition throughout the film and especially at the end um, when we see the contents of the note as well. Um, Vontae Mack, no matter what, Vontae Mack. <laughs> I love that little so, note. Uh, yeah, me too. Got it, me. Yeah, it was good because, like, you saw it throughout the film as well, like from the first time that he wrote it down. And then, um, you know, he was playing with it in his fingers as well when he was debating whether he should draft Fonte, or I assume when he was thinking if he should draft Fonte or Bo. And then um, Ali picked it up when, you know, she was cleaning up or going through the trashed office as well. And so, yeah, it sort of became this little symbol. You were like, what is this note? What is what uh, is written on this note? <laughs> um, One thing I do have to ask while we're still on, on the casting and the characters is, do we reckon that Kevin Costner improvised the, the line about pancakes? <laughs> say it with me? That yeah, one? that one. You reckon yeah. he improvised that? Uh, I think he, uh, if I was to, if I was to give a hard yes or hard no, I'd say yes, I reckon. Um, it doesn't seem like something that would be scripted and just felt a bit more natural, you know? But it is one of the iconic lights at the movie. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few, there's a few iconic lines in this movie. I love, uh, I love when the owner bursts into the war room, um, just after his pick, Fonte Mack. And he just says, Sonny, you're a dead man. And he's like, give me five minutes. Just give me five minutes. 
You son of a bitch! Anthony, I need five minutes, all right? Five minutes, and then you can fire me. Sonny, you are okay? a dead man. Mr. Molina, Mr. Molina, look at me. Look at me. Just give him a minute. He knows what he's doing. Ah, oh, love it. It's brilliant. Anyway, sorry. Hijack that, Jace. Go on, mate. No, no, that's fine. I, I could go on about, like, my favourite lines of the film as well. Oh, well, um, let's hear one then. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, I think, like, I'll reference the whole, you know, we live in a different world than we did, like, a couple of hours ago, 30 seconds ago, um, when Sonny is like, yeah, sort of like clapping back at the um, Seahawks general manager. Okay, screw it. No more offer. It's off the table, Tom. I'm taking Callahan. Whoa, 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 no, no. Wait, wait. All right, you have a deal. I'll give you your picks. We have a deal. What else do we need? Special teams. Putney, get Putney. Yes. Yes. David Putney. 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 Yeah. Putney. Hello? Sonny? I'm sorry, that deal's now off the table. What? We live in a different world than we did just 30 seconds ago. Um, you know, from their, their first sort of phone conversation um, to their last. Yeah, one of my favorite lines in the movie came from Ali when she was talking to Coach Penn in the cafeteria. And uh, she basically said, like, how is it that the most macho sport on the planet prizes a piece of jewelry? The Browns brought me to Cleveland so that everybody could get one of these. How is it that the ultimate prize in the most macho sport ever invented is a piece of jewelry? Um, and then uh, <laughs> Ben talks for a bit. Uh, later as well and like she stands up for herself and she's like don't patronize me I dedicated my life to the sport just like you so um yeah I think like those sort of like you know comments that you know sort of you know show her character and her sort of standing up for herself and um you know it's sort of reflective of like you know comments that some people might get in the industry and so I think like to be able to sort of like clap back at those sorts of comments I think like showed were really good for her character. Yeah, that uh, that line about the most macho sport in the world and the prize is a piece of jewelry. That's uh, that was just perfect. That was spot on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like you know, you guys brought them up before, like Chadwick Boseman as Vontae Mack, um, and also the person that played Bo Callahan, so Josh Pence. Um, I think that they did really well and I sort of spoke about it before as well that you sort of captured saw the emotions of the players themselves um during draft night especially um whether that was you know celebrating being the number one pick or um or not um and yeah I think that those two um especially so Josh Pence and Chadwick Boseman I think that they were really able to convey that emotion or that sort of like difference of emotion um really well um, you know, even just like the scene of, um, you know, Vontae on his couch, just in a look of disbelief and shock and while his family's just like clamoring over him. Like, I think that even just that expression of Chadwick Boseman, like said so much. One, yeah, I have to say, I like Josh Pence's reaction in that same moment where he's sort of losing his cool. Cause it reminds me a little bit of the clips of Aaron Rodgers, you know, five. Um, for those who don't know, Aaron Rodgers was expected to go number one um, or pretty high up. He ended up going, I think it was 24 to the Packers. Um, 
maybe it was 26, it was late in the first round. And there are video clips of him getting less and less comfortable sitting in that green room as the time slips by and the picks slip by. Um, and it was really reminiscent. But it really kind of captures, or Josh really kind of captures that emotional experience that we saw someone else take. It all worked out for Aaron Rodgers in the end, though, didn't it? He had a, he's had a pretty decent career. I mean, I'm always happy when he loses in the playoffs, but that's a whole <laughs> different thing. That's, that's for another podcast. I just uh, I just want to say I came in a little hot when I said I got some thoughts on the cast. I completely um, blanked Chadwick Boseman. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. Um, if you didn't read his name on the credits, you probably wouldn't know that it was him, you know, with the accent and, you know, the tattoos and stuff. And he, he, he just looked a little bit different, looked like he held himself a little bit different as well. Um, and I thought he was fantastic too. So I just had to add that in there. Uh, I thought he was, uh, you know, he just added to this all-star cast, incredible cast. Yeah. Yeah. And we spoke about Chadwick Boseman a lot last on last week's episode as well, uh, 42, you know, the baseball movie about Jackie Robinson and how 42 was his third feature film. Uh, well, Draft Day was his fourth feature film as well. So, you know, it was very early on in Chadwick's uh, life of, you know, sort of cinematography as well. And I think that, you know, we obviously touched on it a lot last week. I think it was, you know, you could see it again in Draft Day as well. Um, and he just got better and better as his uh, career wore on as well. Yeah, I think uh, he's good in 42, um, which I think I might have said last week. I think he's he's great in this movie, and you can see a little bit of the of the superstar he turned out to be just three or four years later in draft day specifically. Uh, so we've touched on the acting performances. We'll go into now uh, who we felt the most relatable character to ourselves was within the film. Uh, Stuart, do you want to start us off with this one, maybe? Um, so, once again, professional sportsman. I mean, you can't see my full body here. I don't have the body of a professional sportsman, so uh, I can't really relate too much. But I did find one. I knew this question was coming. I prepared this week, Jace. You'll be very, very happy. Uh, I, I have to tell you, I forgot. So I'm going to fly. So take as long as you need, Stewie. <laughs> so I feel like I've been Brian Drew once or twice in uh, in my life. Um, you know, had a bit of a setback. Uh, worked really hard to uh, to get what I thought I deserved or get to a level I thought that I needed to be at, only for it to be kind of... Uh, have the rug swept from underneath my feet um, a couple of times. Um, Brian Drew gets a happy ending. Hopefully I get my happy ending uh, one of these days too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Brian Drew, Brian Drew was my pick, mate. Um, I'm going to go with the uh, Jags GM. Um, Jack Carson, I think his name is. Um, I know that Sunny- the, Se- the Seahawks GM gets it wrong when he's talking about him, but um I feel like that a lot of time because there are plenty of situations and uh, you guys have seen one of those just about every day um, where I feel like I'm working around with people and and have the the role and the expectations of someone who is very seasoned and very capable. And a lot of the time I feel like this is my first draft and the clock's ticking and I have no idea what to do. And I just want to be able to trade back in the first round and have a, a break and kind of get my bearings a little bit that's kind of where my life's been at recently and where it's at the moment so I think 
for me, that's a pretty relatable character. Well, my pick for a relatable character isn't as uh, composed as uh, I think either of yours picks. Um, <laughs> when I was watching the film and like obviously thinking about this question as well, um, I would have to say Rick the intern. <laughs> I love Rick. Rick. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely loved him. Um, he was obviously like thrust into the role of um, being, you know, uh, Sonny's sort of like point of call um, in terms of at uh, sitting at, you know, the desk before um, or outside his office. Um, and I think that, yeah, his sort of like, uh, what's the word? Like just, you know, he was sort of like just like this person that was nearly thrust into a role. He was like sort of a, bumbling mess he had no idea um, what to do um, how to sort of like conduct himself um, how to interact with other people you know I think like one of the first sort of um, you know instances where you see him on the screen is where he's got uh, someone on the phone and you know they've heard a rumor about I think it was the trading of the draft picks um, and you know he says to Sonny like you know I've got this person on the line uh, yeah, so he says, like, I have Adam Schefter on, from ESPN on the line. He heard a rumour and, um, you know, Sonny's like, well, we'll tell him to stick his rumour up his and Ali sort of, like, you know, cuts it off at that point as well. Um, but I think, yeah, just, like, he had so many great lines um, or more so there were great lines because of something that he said. You know, even if he asked Sonny, can I get your soda, Um you know, Sonny's like, no, I don't want a soda. No Clevelander has ever used the word soda ever. We use the word pop and all this sort of stuff. And um, yeah, you know, when he sees the fire, he just immediately shouts like, fire, Ali, there's a fire. And <laughs> um, yeah, Jason, I think you don't, you don't give yourself enough credit. You are way more composed than Rick the intern. Uh, so it's not even close. I don't know. I just I feel like I would freak out in a lot of situations and scenarios, especially if there was a fire. Um, especially, you know, if yeah, I just had someone telling me to, you know, tell someone else to stick a rumor up is, you know. Um I think I'd just get flustered, like Rick was, obviously. I think that was the word that I was looking for the most, is just like getting flustered. Um but yeah, I think that, you know, for serious sake as well, um, I think that I would probably say, yeah, Sonny, um, just in terms of, you know, probably the opposite now um, of what I've just spoken about um, in terms of like, you know, some setting something up or wanting to set something up in terms of, you know, Sonny obviously being a team um, of the Cleveland Browns, he wants to set up the team. Um, I think that, yeah, just having those sorts of plans that you want and, you know, running things how you want, I think that, you know, I sort of do as well. Um, and so, like, I really found myself relating to that part of uh, Sonny Weaver Jr. and that character. All right, we get to the part of the episode now where we ask, if you could have an American football-related movie get made, what would it be and your reasoning for why? Uh, Stuart, we'll start with you, maybe. Okay, so no Field of Dreams 2 this week, mate. <laughs> um, no zombie baseball players coming back from the dead to attack Kevin Costner and, you know, 
Um, but we still want to make this movie happen. So if anyone out there, you know, yeah. wants to wants to fund it, um, we'll, we'll we'll help you out. Um, now, listen, I uh, I seen this great thirty for thirty doco um, quite some time ago now about the USFL. Um, it was a Donald Trump backed football league that was uh, that I think it ran in the spring and the summer if I've got my months yeah right yeah yeah ran in the spring and the summer for three seasons and then uh for the fourth season they were gearing up to go head to head with the NFL and uh they had a little bit of traction and I just I remember just being captivated by that 30 for 30 and uh just being really into it um so I'd love to see a movie being made about the USFL or um you know maybe even the XFL as well that that's another one just something like a bit you know not NFL like one of these competitors that have tried to come up and and you know try and take their spot I'd love to see a movie um of that so yeah that'd be my pick I think if I was going to pick a movie I mean there's a a couple of storylines that have always kind of stuck with me um from the NFL one is actually also related to the Browns um in the in the uh late 90s the the turn of the century the browns actually relocated um and became the baltimore ravens that franchise moved renamed and what used to be the browns in the 80s became the ravens and a new franchise was set up a few years later i'd love to see a movie about the inside of that decision to move a franchise um or you know we've seen that also with st louis and la recently that would be uh, an interesting one the one that I think in five years' time we're going to be saying should be a movie is the story of Joey Cool, Joey Burrow, who in two years has made an impact already, and I think that's going to continue. So I'd love to see a Joe Burrow movie. You know, comes out of nowhere from the be- starting the bench in college, has the all-time college season, number one pick, ACL injury, Super Bowl loss. I mean the. We've got all the makings of a great movie. Um, mm-hmm. We just need a, a title now, and then we'll be set. <laughs> I think that Joey, the Joey Cool one, is a that's a cool idea. I like that. I think it's spot on. Absolutely. Um, I'm gonna relate mine to Aussie Rules, um, and I'd love to see a movie related to the sort of similarities between uh, Aussie Rules and American football mostly uh, surrounding, you know, a lot of Australian players um, sort of trying their trade at American football um, just because of, you know, the the very similarities and, you know, in skills especially uh, between Aussie rules football and uh, American football, mostly in terms of, like, punters as well. So, you know, I think you've had uh, success of sort of Ben Graham, um, you know, I think he's one of the most uh, sort of like successful Aussies to be playing in the NFL. Is there four currently or five? Because I know there's, I mean, we talk about Mitch Wisnowski at um, the 49ers. Jordan Berry used to be at the Steelers, but he's somewhere else now. I think there's four or five Australians punting um, in the NFL at the moment. And we might be adding to that uh, on Saturday morning. Or Sunday morning when uh, someone else gets picked up late in the draft because there's a couple of Aussie punters who've gone in. Hopefully, hopefully that would be really good. Um, but yeah, I think that obviously because of the uh, you know similarities between 
the sort of two sports um, and two codes. I think that, you know, you could really do sort of like a documentary style about, you know, just how uh, sort of successful um, Australian players could be in American football, especially, um, and just sort of how they scout and how, you know, the two games are so different but are so similar at the same time as well. So, and I think that you can sort of relate that back to, you know, the amount of uh, Australian players that do actually go overseas and try out for teams or, um, you know, play at different sorts of levels. And, um, you know, I'm just seeing here as well that the first Australian to play American football at a meaningful level was a former Australian rules footballer by the name of Pat O'Dea in 1898. Um, he was a college football Hall of Fame player. So, um, yeah, so I think that we can sort of see from Pat O'Dea's sort of, you know, him starting in 1898, um, which has sort of shocked us all. Um, I think that, you know, you can see sort of through the years and sort of see through the last more than, you know, 125 years, um, you know, that this is a potential pathway, um, you know, Aussie rules football to the NFL. Um, so I think that that would be really cool to capture in a movie. I'm all for it. 100%. And just before we properly end this episode, because we are releasing this on the day of the NFL draft, we thought we'd have a bit of fun in trying to predict who we think will go with the number one pick. So, Dan, would you like to provide us with who you think is going at number one? I mean, I think we, we all agree it's going to be a defensive end. Um, I am going to take Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, first, I just think that he has put together the uh, the plays and the tape this year to, to earn himself that number one pick. Yeah, I think that's a great pick, Dan. Um, Except from... that I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that uh, Michigan Wolverine, Aiden Hutchinson, will, uh, will go number one. His old man was an All-American uh, and also team captain of Michigan, so he's got it in his blood. Uh, I think the Jags will probably go him at number one. I'm predicting that Trayvon Walker will go number one. Um, you know, he's from Georgia. Uh, I think that his sort of uh, assertion sort of started, um, you know, last summer, but it's really taken off in the last few months as well. And I think that all that form from throughout the last months uh, will be on, you know, the front of the minds of the Jaguars and uh, they'll pick him at number one. And that now does bring a proper end to our episode. So, Dan, Stewie, would you like to share your social media handles with us? Well, you can find me on all good social media websites at, at Decoupl, um, wherever you get your socials. You can find me uh, on Twitter, at Stewie is sick of it, because um, I'm sick of most things. And uh, you can also hear me on the uh, After Extra Time podcast also. And you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Jace Herbs. If you've been listening to Goals on Film, you can find Goals on Film on Twitter and Instagram at Goals on Film Pod. Goals on Film is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, TikTok at Edge of the Crowd. You can also visit our website, www.edgeofthecrowd.com, where you can read all of our articles, be it sport, culture, bit of politics as the Australian election is coming up as well. Until next week, thanks for listening and we'll see you then.